0: Welcome to the K-1 Visa Podcast with your hosts, Drew and Holly.
1: Hello, wherever you're listening. Welcome to the K-1 Visa Podcast. I'm Drew. And I'm Holly. And Holly joins me down the line from Ohio, and I'm in the Fenway Lane Studios in New Hampshire. We are bringing a podcast to you to hopefully inform you about some of the issues that K-1 visa immigrants face and have a bit of a conversation about things that we face when we first come to the country and then the process of getting a K-1. We're also going to have a bit of fun discussing other things, some cultural issues, and we'll uh, We'll bring uh, immigration news that we find or feel is necessary to talk about in the process as well. So let's get into it. Holly and I run a K-1 visa group on Facebook. It's called K-1 Visa Filers 2018-19, funnily enough. And uh, we get a lot of questions through there. Um, Holly, did you want to go into some of that?
0: Yeah, sure. So recently we've had quite a few um, questions around some of the processes on how um, or what people should do when they're first filing. Um, And I think it's really important in the beginning before starting the process, that you should try and do as much research as possible on the process. Um, there is a lot of information on the USCIS website, such as um, the first form that you fill out, obviously, for the K-1 visa is the I-129F, I believe it is. Um, and there is actually an information document that you can download and read through that um is pretty comprehensive and it does explain like what the process is, whether or not you'd be, um, you'd qualify to be able to apply for a K-1 visa. Um, You know, some of the requirements such as meeting the person within, or your fiance within two years um, as an example. Um, And I believe that, You'd be better informed if you were to read through some of the instruction documents prior to asking questions, just purely because all of us have kind of been through the process and although we are all willing to share information, um, it is isn't. It is important that you kind of know what you're signing yourself up to because it is kind of a, you know, obviously it's a lifelong commitment when you're yeah, absolutely. marrying someone. And also, you know, the financial... Um, the financial strain that it can put on 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 your relationship as well, because obviously you're going to support that person up until I believe is it ten years or something, Andrew? I can't yeah, remember. Yeah, it.
1: ten, 10 years, um, or until you become a citizen, then that, that you're completely responsible, uh, or the other person, yeah, the. So, yeah, so is that in itself, responsible, yeah.
0: So that in itself is a massive commitment that you know people when you do get married, obviously it is a lifelong commitment that you're willing to make to that person, but it's still important to understand, you know, what you're signing yourself up for and Absolutely. also you know, because there, it's different being when you're in a long term relationship and you're seeing each other, you know once every couple of year, you know once every year or something or once every six months, depending on where you live and obviously how much it costs to be able to visit the person that, you, you, that you're engaged to um, not everyone has the joy of being able to just, you know, walk <laughs> walk over the border kind of thing to be able to see their fiancé. Um, me, yeah,
1: exactly. for instance,
0: was a 19-hour flight to Texas and then another four hours to Ohio um, and $2,400 later.
1: I've so, got the beat, though.
0: Yeah, I know you do. <laughs> 20,
1: 26 hours in the air for me and 10 hours is a stopover each way. Wow.
0: Yeah, now, that's incredible.
1: Um, and I tried it through New Zealand to Houston and then to Boston, and uh, that was even worse. I think my first flight over was 42 hours all up because of this layover time.
0: Yeah, see, I was thankful that there is a direct flight um, directly from Auckland, where I was living, through to Houston. So I basically could fly, you know, the whole night. 19 hours is a really long time to be sitting on your ass, by the way. It I sure is. Yep.
1: It's I, I, and I've fun. done that. I done, did that flight. I did, a, yeah. um, I did an overnight from Perth to Auckland, then Auckland to Houston, and then I had a 14-hour layover in Houston waiting for a flight to Boston.
0: Yeah, I think my, the first time I came over, I think it was a seven-and-a-half-hour layover um, in Houston, and I was dead to the world by the time I got here. I and that imagine. was the first <laughs> time I actually met my husband. So I looked like a zombie, and I was just – he actually thought when he met me – for the first time he thought that I wasn't interested because I was so exhausted that I just didn't look excited to see him at all it was horrible and I felt so bad but then like obviously you know after you've had a good night's sleep and everything and reality hits you like you're finally there it's kind of like oh my god kind of thing so it was yeah but
1: (laughs) I can can understand that completely Yeah, yeah I I'm pretty lucky I used to fly a lot for work and I managed to work out how to get myself off to sleep on aeroplanes. Um, so, yeah, you know, I do pretty well in the air. It's just I the time zone difference sleeper. that kills me.
0: I can't sleep I'm um, sitting up, so I just, it was horrible. And when I moved here, um, I'm kind of digressing a bit, but when I moved here, um, I actually had a migraine on the plane within the first hour of taking off, and I was absolutely beside myself because obviously I just left my family um I was stressed out majorly and then on top of that you know I had to leave my cat behind as well which I was really really upset about um luckily my parents she lives with my parents so there's no way I would leave her otherwise but um I ended up with a migraine and I was so sick I couldn't eat anything I couldn't drink anything and luckily they actually had spare seats at the back of the plane and they let me sleep so yeah yeah (laughs) I didn't have my medication or anything. Note to self, if anyone has migraines, take your pills on the plane with you.
1: <laughs> Absolutely, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, how did you guys meet? Let's let's go back that far.
0: Um, okay, so my husband and I met on a game on our cell phone. So, it was a war game called Ebony. And... Um, My first encounter with him was actually, believe it or not, I have a sailor mouth as well, so um, my first encounter with him (laughs) was me basically calling him a dickhead and telling him that he was an absolute asshole for burning my entire alliance and um, that he needed to quit doing it basically. And his response was pretty much exactly the same as mine and turned around and said, well, because, you know, your lack of diplomacy and all the rest of it, I think I'm going to continue doing what I'm doing um, and you can basically get knotted.
1: So look where you are now.
0: And look where we are. We're now married. Um, We have two cats. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yeah, so it was a very interesting, it's an interesting story to tell people because, you know, it was... A very odd way of meeting somebody, and I definitely wasn't expecting it. Absolutely. But it happened that way, and I am never going to look back.
1: Yeah, um, similar. Oh, well, Karen and I never had a uh, a cross word with each other, but yeah, we met on online as well, um, in a music app, and I ended up in a line a chat room, I guess. On an online app, which you're familiar with, oh,
0: that, yes, that's exactly how I used to speak to my husband as well.
1: <laughs> and uh, Line's great if anybody hasn't used it, it's a Japanese instant messenger app. Facebook and WhatsApp and that have nothing to do with it, so Mr. Zuckerberg doesn't have any access. Um, and it's it's really good, their voice and their f- um, video protocol is great, just a free plug for Line app there. Uh, we'll stick yeah. a link to it in the K1 podcast page, later maybe that.
0: Maybe they'll sponsor us for saying that.
1: (laughs) That'd be great, wouldn't it?
0: (laughs) But you no, I totally agree. It's It's great.
1: Yeah. So we we met on that and um, I flew out here about three months later, I suppose. Wow. And I actually tripped down the stairs on my way uh, out of the airport to meet her. I, I looked up and there she was and... The next thing I know I've stuck one foot in front of the other and yeah, tripped over my own. Do
0: throat. you do you know what I can actually picture that happening as well? Yeah. Like I can just picture it. It'd I be had like a
1: whole I had a whole line of things I was gonna say when I first saw her and I cle- completely forgot all of them, like <laughs> I've done a couple of times trying to record tonight. And uh <laughs> here we are. So
0: how long so how long were you actually together before you decided to move like how many trips because I know yours is quite different
1: to mine because I we were pretty quick actually um I came over in August of what year of 2016 right I came over again in November and proposed really really wow and um and then Karen visited me in Perth in February Mm mm-hmm and uh, and then in March, or yeah, late, very late March, early April, I came over for three months. I my That's right. employer was very nice to me, and let me come over for almost three months. Not
0: oh, you never get that in America.
1: Not the full cool. three months, because then I wouldn't have had a job, and I would have overstayed the ESTA. Yeah. And um, I think it was eighty four days, um, just to make sure that we could actually live with each other, but we didn't have a crossword and didn't want to be apart. Um, and then when I got back, um, we put in the, um, visa application and then waited the very, very, very long seven months Idiot. before we saw each other again. I'd got to the uh-huh. point where I went, no, I'm coming out. So I came out the following February and basically when I got here, we had an RFE waiting.
0: That's right. Yeah, I remember that. What was your RFE for? I can't remember.
1: So my RFE was because we didn't check one box on the <laughs> um, thing. And if you'd read the rest of the application, you would have known what the answer to that question was. But they don't work like that. Right, yeah. So that's that's that. Um, that's how we met. Um, and then we I came out again in June and we were married in July. And I'm about 15, 16 days from being over here for a year now.
0: Yeah, isn't that scary? I was thinking about that actually, because as I mentioned, today was my 10th month anniversary. Um,
1: yes, happy metric anniversary for you.
0: <laughs> Thank you um yeah it's quite strange like it doesn't feel like I've almost been here for a year I think it's just been so stressful like the first year I think and you know when you're applying for AOS and everything else as well you can't really I mean you're in a different situation now because obviously your green card's been um approved and everything so you can kinda relax a little bit you know but anyone else that's still kind of in the process and still within the USCIS system there's never really a time to relax, and I think that's part of the reason why I kind of left it for so long before I actually applied, because I was just dreading the fact, because I knew, you know, from the last time we waited, you know, a good six, six and a half months before we got our NOA two, uh, NOA 2, and then it wasn't until, you know, two months later that I finally had my interview, and then I then I moved, you know, so... It was just it's such a long process, and obviously the green cards can take a lot longer. Um, And at the moment, I think EAD is a minimum of around six and a half months to seven months. So, if you're unlucky and your field office that you you know the field office that will process your green card isn't quick. Then you're looking at like a six and a half, seven month wait before you can even work. So the longer you leave it, obviously the worse it is because you can't work. So that's going on almost, you know, two years for me that I haven't that I wouldn't have been able to work if I don't get my green card beforehand.
1: It's a long time to not work. I'm very lucky. My green card was approved, I'd say in record time.
0: Yeah, it was insane. <laughs> and
1: it, it was very quick. It was actually just over two months, and yeah. uh, from putting the application into getting the um, card. I think it was two months and two weeks in total. Um, But I did have to wait the full time before I could get a social security number, which meant I couldn't open a bank account.
0: That's right, um, yeah.
1: Or even get my name put on the one with my wife, um, which made it slightly harder to get my green card in the first place.
0: Yeah. So actually, while you're talking about social security... At the moment, at, while we're talking about it, I just wanted to touch on something because I did see somebody mention something, and I don't think it was in one of our groups. I think it was in another group. Mm-hmm. But somebody had asked whether or not they should get their social security card number um, before they approve or before they go ahead and um, get their AOS and EAD. Now, when they went to the social security office, they were told they would run into issues with USCIS if they were to change their name um, prior to getting their employment authorization card which I find absolutely ridiculous because for one you, USCIS are going going to obviously know that there's potential that a name change is going to happen because you're getting married absolutely. obviously to a US citizen and if you're a female obviously nine times out of ten you do take your husband's name so the fact that the social security office is giving this information. I think it's really misleading. And I actually think it's very untruthful because every K1 applicant is entitled to a social security number, um, regardless of um, whether you're married yet or if you're not married yet, you are, as long as your I-94 is still valid. Um, now, I do believe that it is a little bit difficult if you've only got two or three weeks left on your I nine four because they are about a bit iffy because it has to go through the save process and everything else to check your um, you're actually here lawfully and all the rest of it. I didn't run into any issues personally when I went and got my social security um, card. I applied, I think, two weeks. It was when I got my marriage certificate, which is about two weeks after we got married, um, and I went ahead straight away. And did that with my marriage certificate, my passport, my I-9-4. Um, and that's basically all the information I gave them. Um, yeah. And I managed to have it put in my married name. So, and I've only just applied for AOS and I can't see it being an issue.
1: I think you'll be fine. Um, they obviously know at the USCIS that women who get married often change their names. And sometimes even the men do.
0: Yeah, yeah.
1: So... Yeah, I don't think you'll have an issue with that. I had a bit of a problem. The gentleman that processed my application for Social Security after I'd been here for a couple of weeks filled in some stuff incorrectly, um, which caused a status mismatch, which I couldn't get rectified. Um, It's not supposed to happen, but it can. And that's just where it is.
0: Yeah, and I did I do remember I had to reiterate um a couple of times to the guy that processed mine that I could not legally work yet. Um and he seemed a little bit surprised by that because a lot of the information that they have is actually basically saying that K ones can work, but that's obviously not, not the case. You have yeah, to Yeah, that was
1: actually one of the things that the gentleman who put mine through got wrong and that's what caused the issue.
0: Yeah, so I think it's important to reiterate that when you do go into the social security office. Like, actually know what... And this is why I encourage people to research, because it's really important to know the process to be able to know what you're fighting for. So if you are unaware of what you're actually fighting for, it makes it very difficult to kind of stand your ground and actually get what you're entitled to and also know what you're entitled to. And I ran into the same issue with, you know, my driving license, for instance, and that was another issue that um, a lot of people have had. Um, yep. in terms of, you know, if you're a K-1 visa um, holder, you can get a driver's license. Um, it will only be valid for the three months or the... the, the, the uh, <laughs> it's only valid basically for you from, you know, your I-9-4. So as soon as that expires, your, drive, your driving license is basically going to expire.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: But in that time, if you apply for your AOS... You can basically take your NOA 1 into BMV or DMV. It's called different things everywhere. Um, You can take that in with you as proof that you have applied for adjustment of status and um, your employment authorisation. And there are avenues you can go, which I did. I spoke to my state senator. um, I also spoke to um, the local senator, um, along with Department of um, Public Safety as well, Um, and to ensure that I could get my driving license and sure enough, um, I have my driving license. So
1: congratulations. Thank you. Once again, (laughs) I until I had my green card and my social security number before I got mine. (laughs) Yeah. But that's fine. I just lived with it, which I think a lot of people do. And if you can't work, you have a lesser need to drive. Um, I guess unless you live out in the middle of nowhere. I'm lucky I live in a mildly well, it's a pretty small city about 13,000, but things are within walking distance if you need to walk.
0: Yeah, so in my in my case like I'm I've always been quite an independent person so not being able to drive like I've been driving since I was a kid, you know like I was 16 when I got my license for the first time in New Zealand. And um, for me, not have not being able to drive, and I did have an international permit, which apparently you're not supposed to be driving on anyway, but I did. Um, I, I
1: did as well. I wasn't yeah. aware of the rules until it was too late.
0: Yeah. And I mean, and that's, that's the thing. There's so, that's the problem with um, a lot of this process is there's so much stuff that's left out that you're not informed um, by, you know, there's no one you can really ask apart from you know Facebook groups and stuff like that. Some things you can research, other things you can't. And I encourage people to ask questions. Obviously, well, we both do, um, yep. but at the same time, as much research you can possibly do, so so you can share that knowledge with other people as well. Um, I think is really beneficial for everybody.
1: Yeah, anything you can do to help yourself out is very important. Um, as far as finding out what you need to know and. Then ask the questions. It, it even makes it easier to a- understand what information you're being given if you've done some research beforehand.
0: Yeah. And then you can also see, like, because I do see it now, now that I've been through the process, there is sometimes, you know, the odd person that will actually be misinformed and then be, um, you know, kind of communicating that mis misinformed information to other people and then that's when it come, becomes like Chinese whispers and it can be very dangerous with things like this because it is a legal process, you know what I mean? So um, going through a legal process, not knowing the ifs and buts or leaving out an if and a but can cause you a whole world of strife.
1: Absolutely. And there are places out there um, who are willing to help you with that, obviously for a fee, um who do know some of the ins and outs but even then you can't 100 percent rely on the information they've been given because it does tend to change Mm -hmm. depending on who's looking at the application in the first place yeah i agree all right let's take a quick break and uh, we'll come back in a minute welcome back we are going to do some question and answer now. We have a question on our page. Can someone please clarify on medical expiry, please? So my fiance's medical was on the 3rd of the 2nd, 2019, and I know for AOS it's good for a year. So does that mean if his AOS interview is after the eighth month of 2020, he'll have to get a new medical, or as long as AOS application is sent prior to 8, 2020, we are good? Holly, do you want to have a go at that?
0: Uh, Yeah, so my understanding, and I mean, I could be wrong with this because I actually submitted my AOS a month prior to my medical expiring. I have yet to receive a courtesy letter from them, but that could still come, saying that I have to redo my medical um, because it's going to be more than a year or what have you. But my understanding is as long as you actually have submitted it within that year, um, that you should be fine. Um, but then again, I have heard of people receiving RFEs um, or courtesy letters saying that they do need to redo their medical, um, and they've actually been less than a year. So I do think it depends on, one, who is actually going through your petition. Two, I, still, I think it, it depends on what the, the doctor has actually written in your medical and if they've found something that um, USCIS may find concerning, that they want it to be reviewed, what have you could be medication or it could be um you know an illness or anything um or even immunizations you know immunizations are a big thing as well very stringent with um what immunizations are expected to have which you know for me i think chicken pox to have an immunization for chicken pox is bloody ridiculous but um you know who am i to judge
1: yeah i had to have um german measles and measles. Um, booster shots and tetanus Um, something else I can't remember what the other one was Um, before I came out I think it cost me about $60 a shot and um, but I didn't have to have chicken pox because I've got a big scar on my nose and the doctor could clearly see that I'd had it
0: yeah I had a blood test to confirm that I had chicken pox when I was a kid so I didn't have to have that either um, but there was, leading on to this, um, Andrew, while we're talking about medicals, there was another question um, somebody else asked, um, because, you know, with K1, you're not actually expected to have the immunisations at the time of K K1 visa, um, but... If you have immunization records, it is encouraged to obviously take that to the doctor so that you can actually show proof that you've had the immunizations or what have you. Um, I do highly re- recommend that people actually have them in their home country because nine times out of ten, they're going to be a lot cheaper than what they are in the U.S.
1: Absolutely. Yeah, and, I, I the US, yeah. high. and I wouldn't. Yeah.
0: And I wouldn't. Another thing, too, is like I wouldn't necessarily wait till the very last minute because a lot of these injections require boosters so even if you get it started you know you you might not have a finished I think hepatitis A you've got to have three shots or it might be hepatitis B Mm -hmm. um, and that's over a period of you know a year basically or two years that you've got to have those shots so I personally think the sooner you can get them done the better um rather than waiting, because obviously AOS is really expensive in itself. Um, You're better off to get it done prior to moving, so it's less financial strain on on you at the time, you know, when you're applying for AOS.
1: Yeah, I couldn't agree more. Um, Just getting mine done. I had my medical in May, my interview in June, and then I had my AOS in September. I wouldn't have had time to get everything finished if I had to have had those um, along the way. However, I had a clear medical and it didn't cause an issue. Um, there are, is some information out there that medical reports are only valid for six months, but I believe that they got updated midway through last year.
0: Yeah, and I do th- I think actually there was a lot of information to um, Filipino candidates that their medicals were only valid for six months, and I don't know if that's just miscommunication. Um, from the embassy over there or the doctors that are doing the reports over there or if it actually is the truth, you know, where it is only valid for six months for whatever reason, I don't, I couldn't tell you. I don't know why they would specifically, um, you know, call out one country to have them every six months. It makes no sense. But um, I think it's more a case of miscommunication than anything else.
1: It could well be, but it does pay to check with the authorities in every case. Yeah. Okay, so let's move on to another question. We've got one here. The question is in regards to stocks that we present as assets with our I-134. The I-134 is the affidavit of support um, that you provide for the K-1 interview. Um, So the question is, do we need copies of stock certificates or copies of subordinate notes along with the stock certificate? if you are making a hundred and twenty five percent of the uh, poverty line guidelines for your state then you don't need to present stock certificates at all the um uscis are concerned that you are able to provide ongoing support rather than using a once saleable asset um, so you don't need to list a house Um, You don't need to list stocks as long as you're making the uh, required amount of income in a year.
0: I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, Andrew, but I believe that for K1, I think it's only 100% and then for AOS, I think they require 125% of the poverty line. I might be wrong, but I did read that somewhere and I I might be misinformed,
1: but... um, I think you're right, but I think it helps to be at that 125 before you start. I think so too.
0: Yeah, I think that because, and that's again, something that, you know, people need to research before they go ahead and apply for a K-1 visa because later on down the track, sure, you may have made the 100% during the K-1 um, visa and all the rest of it, but what happens when you go to adjust status, you may end up needing a co- co-sponsor, which you could, you know, not, not everybody has that you know has that opportunity to have somebody that is willing to do that for 10 years
1: absolutely it's a big commitment um and you can watch 90 day fiance or something like that and just see what happens when things go wrong uh, being a sponsor which would put people off for sure yeah yeah okay so let's move on and talk about some cultural differences I um, had occasion to call my boss this morning and say that I probably wasn't going to be able to complete my full day's work, given it was listed at 21 hours. Um, I wasn't feeling particularly well, and I wouldn't have been able to complete it, even if I was. But I called him and asked if I could put some work off till tomorrow, and said that I was crook in the guts. <laughs> he, uh, yeah, didn't really know what to make of that uh, it took him a few seconds to work it out but uh is there anything that you've come out with that your husband's just looked at you strangely about
0: um yeah there, i mean there is the odd occasion and i can't think of something right now but in terms of like my issues um i find it the food over here is very hard to get used to
1: yeah i totally get that i um look at the differences between things like coca-cola in australia and the us and um you know as is cane sugar in australia and here it's high fructose corn syrup which is pretty deadly
0: yeah and apparently it's illegal everywhere else in the world apart from the us
1: um yeah in a previous life I worked in supermarkets in Australia, I believe we sold it in a bottle back in the 90s. Oh
0: my goodness.
1: Yeah, (laughs) I don't know that I'd like to see that happening now. Um, I will note though that if you look in the Mexican section of some of the supermarkets here, you can buy Mexican Coca-Cola, which is made with cane sugar.
0: Ha, I did not know that.
1: Yep, they have Fanta and Sprite as well. And uh, and they come in the glass bottle, which I hadn't seen for about 25 years back home. Yeah. All right. What are we moving on to next? Immigration news. So I came across a... I don't know whether it's a disturbing news story or not. But it's that the US uh, Trump administration moves to curb immigrants' use of public services. And it reads as follows, cabinet secretaries are told to seek repayment from migrant sponsors for use of services for low-income people. It's important to note that if you come on a K-1 visa, you don't have access to those services in the first place. Um, the, the sponsor is actually responsible for you, so you wouldn't be able to claim most of those services. Um, But if you come across that, that's what that one's about. Also in the news this week is tornadoes through the Midwest, which I believe you're slightly familiar with.
0: Oh, I am. I am. Absolutely. So I got a lovely phone call at about 12 o'clock the other other morning about um, from my mother-in-law, actually. She was ringing to let me know that. um, Well, she actually, first of all, she asked me if I was watching the weather. And I said, well, no, I've been sleeping, actually. Yeah, they've
1: been watching pilots.
0: Uh, yeah, yeah. So my husband and I do go to bed quite early, you know, around about, actually bedtime's about now. Anywhere from like 8.30 to 9 o'clock is usually our bedtime, because uh-huh. he gets up about 4 o'clock in the morning. She is aware of this, too. But anyway, she calls me to tell me, well, actually to ask me if I'm watching the weather, and I said, well, no, I've actually been sleeping. She was like, well, the tornado sirens are going off. And I said, oh, they are. And she said, yeah, well, they're going off at our house, and they live about 10 minutes away from, from me. And okay. I said, oh, um, okay, and she says, well, are they going off at your house? And I said, well, I don't know. I've been sleeping. So obviously, you know, they didn't wake me up, so I, they're obviously not that loud. Anyhow, so because of that phone call, obviously, I've, I've never experienced a tornado before living in New Zealand. We don't really get tornadoes.
1: Um, yeah, I was going to ask that.
0: <clears throat> so it was a bit of a scary situation However, there was obviously nothing I could do We don't have a basement where I live um, So because of that phone call um, I did look on my phone to see you know, How long this tornado watch was going to be in place And it said 2 o'clock in the morning wow. So because of that phone call I'm now wide awake, laying in bed Listening to tornado sirens for the next two hours um, Not being able to sleep Because I didn't know what, what the hell I was supposed to do um, so yeah that was interesting thankfully it didn't get close enough to us to actually worry us um, unfortunately it did hurt, hit um, Circleville which we have some family that live in Circleville um, none of them were harmed obviously none of their properties or anything like that but it was absolutely horrendous for the people that did have to go through it and I believe there, were some, there were some casualties as well um, I believe Dayton got um, hit pretty badly Um So anyone that's from those areas, I hope you're all well and um, I'm sorry if you had any damage or anything like that. It's awful. Um, But yes, that was my experience with my first tornado um, warning. Um, I think I would have rather have been asleep um, than sitting awake um, worrying about something that I obviously can't do anything about. So, yeah.
1: Yeah, it makes it uh, interesting when you have to uh, deal with new situations like that. I probably wouldn't know what to do either. Thankfully I live up here and I have to worry about blizzards in winter rather than tornadoes in spring.
0: Yeah. And my husband too, because he's experienced them so many times before, he was about as useless as two tits on a bull He just basically laid there and I'm trying to nudge him saying, you know, should we be you know, should we be going somewhere? Like what what do we do? What do we do? And he's like, Nah, it's fine but I didn't know if he was awake saying that or if he was half asleep and he just wasn't comprehending what I was saying. So, um, yeah.
1: I can understand that. Um, You probably get a bit complacent when you have lived through these things hundreds of times. Yeah. So, yeah, that's great. I think that's probably all we've got time for on this episode. Next week, I hope we will have an interview. I'm still trying to tee that up. And uh, it's been great to talk to you tonight.
0: It's always great talking to you too, Andrew.
1: Great. We'll uh, catch up again next week. More questions and answers. We'll talk probably a bit more in depth about the initial process. And uh, that's it for now. See you later.
0: Bye.